Tuesday, August 7th. Welcome to the Market Foolery. I'm Chris Allen. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Charlie Travers, from Motley Fool Stock Advisor, Alex Scherer, and from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager. Gentlemen, good to see you. Alex, welcome. Hello. Welcome, welcome to our friendly confines. <laughs> yeah. It's nice to know that the uh, the border police at the border of, <laughs> I guess, what, Pennsylvania and Maryland, they That's let right. you come they down on, here. They were on breakfast break, I guess. <laughs> you snuck in. Uh, we got a lot on our plate today. We've got Fossil, we've got Arcos Dorado, Sirius XM. We're going to dip into the full mailbag. We're going to start, however, with a company that, for us, surprisingly, it's been a long time since we've talked about and that's Chesapeake Energy. Shares of Chesapeake Energy up more than 10% this morning after second quarter profits nearly doubled. Joe Mager, they nearly doubled! Wow! you got to love this. <clears throat> um, sure, if I own shares. <laughs> I wish I did when I said that they were a nice pickup a couple months ago, because they're up about 45% from their low. Right. To me, the most int- interesting part of this wasn't the numbers for the trailing quarter, but talking about 2013 guidance on production. Looks like they're going to cut back on natural gas production. It'll be the first year that Chesapeake hasn't produced more gas than the previous one in a very, very, very long time, which is good news if you're hoping for a natural gas recovery. This is because they've been flooding the market with it for so long. Yeah, Joe, do you honestly believe them on that guidance? This is a company with a history of saying one thing and then three months later doing another. I don't believe anything they say, but... I think it's a step in the right direction, at least. Now, of course, they'll completely turn tail on that if natural gas climbs up to, say, 4 bucks. But if nothing else, they are one of the bigger players in the industry, and to whatever extent people take them seriously, it is a sign that, you know, hopefully we'll see more of that from other higher-cost producers. Well, and Charlie, one of the things that's getting some headlines is the fact that Aubrey McClendon, one of our favorite CEOs, Mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily for the best of reasons, but uh, Aubrey McClendon said that Chesapeake is going to be spending a lot less money. In fact, the the quote from him uh, was, spending will continue to drop off quite dramatically. That's... As a general rule of thumb, that's kind well, of what you want to hear from a CEO, isn't it? You'd like to hear, but uh, as I mentioned just a minute ago, they really <laughs> don't have a lot of credibility in this regard. Uh, he may finally be feeling some pressure from the board of directors. Uh, so more likely than in past years, that will come to pass. Yeah. I'll say, though, if he hasn't been bounced by now... Not going to happen. Yeah, he's bulletproof. So you're saying, uh, because we've talked about this guy for the last six months, and there have been... Uh, it's ridiculous. To put it charitably, numerous missteps on his behalf from the secret hedge fund he was managing to, you know, the antique map collection. I mean, people yeah. who have listened to I this I think he could have been the guy time, who no. walked off with the Lindbergh baby and would still have a job. So when you're thinking of catalysts moving this stock, you're saying that investors shouldn't be banking on a catalyst that involves Aubrey McClendon leaving, a better catalyst is going to be a spike in natural gas prices? Yeah, I think so. And I think that's going to happen probably late 2013, 2014, just my guesstimate. But I've been saying it's 18 months away for about 18 months now. Charlie, what do you think? Do people have to be that patient when they're looking at a stock like this? They really need to be thinking a couple years out in terms of natural gas prices? You do. And because commodity prices like this are so hard to predict with any accuracy, you got to buy low and just wait it out. And yet, you know, we talk about Chesapeake Energy, obviously, because they did the earnings. They're not the only player in this space, Alex. I mean, when you when you look at companies in this space, presumably they're all going to benefit 
when natural gas prices rise, right? Yeah, absolutely. The thing with the thing with Chesapeake, I think, is um, you know as many headlines as Aubrey gets, and as uh, as as many opinions as we all have on uh, good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, at the end of the day, this is a story about the assets, and natural gas is one of the only assets in the universe, it seems, uh, that is. Uh, at historic lows. And so a bet on Chesapeake, just like a bet on Encana or any of the other major natural gas players, is simply a bet on the assets and reversion to the mean. So, Joe, just to wrap up, what do you think of the stock now? I still like it. It's very dirty. It's not the first natural gas stock that I would buy, though. I would go with an ultra-petroleum or range resources first. Fossil makes watches and accessories, and apparently all of that has been going well of late because shares are up more than 30% this morning after second quarter profits came in higher than expected. Alex, what's the story here? Well, I think there's two important things to keep in mind if you're a fossil shareholder. Number one, uh, maybe up 30% today, but it's a pretty low bar that they had to step over. The stock went from, I think, 130 bucks in March down to 60 Uh and so, you Less. Know, recovering, you know, so the, so they've recovered slightly. They, you know, they're up fifty percent from the low, uh, and they're still down uh, quite a great deal. So, uh, low expectations being met, I think, is more of the story here than uh, any sort of resurgence or renaissance in. Uh, uh, luxury sales. The second uh, issue I think to keep in mind is that Fossil is a, uh, by and large, a wholesaler of uh, of their um, of their inventory. They're selling watches on to retailers, and so the success that they may be having uh, currently, in especially in places like China, where it still appears that growth is pretty strong for them. I think their China sales were up nearly thirty percent for the quarter. Uh, may or may not be flowing through to uh, the end uh, the end customer, and. Uh, you got to wonder over the next year, over the next couple of years, if the Chinese kleptocrats, the guys who are buying all this stuff, the, the only ones with the money, the the, uh, the capitalists who are, uh, uh, you know, uh, in in bed um, with who they need to be to to make things happen in China, uh, if if ostentatious displays of wealth are are going to continue to be appropriate, or they're going to find those things to continue to be appropriate. Uh, in the near future. I think that has a lot more to do with the success or not of luxury goods manufacturers, and I would include Fossil in that list. Well, you mentioned other luxury good manufacturers, uh, and we're seeing other luxury good stocks having a good day. Tiffany, Coach, Movado, they're all up, and fairly or unfairly, uh, Fossil's getting some of the credit for that. Um, when you look at luxury retailers sort of writ large, um, you know, is is this the one to bet on? Because when I hear you say things uh, and talking about the wholesale uh, angle for this company, it seems like Fossil might not be the best indicator of the luxury market when it comes to stocks. It seems like it might be more of a trailing indicator. Is that fair? I think so. As a uh, as a wholesaler, that that would definitely be the case. The leading indicators would be the ones who are focused on retail first and foremost. Uh, one name that's within Stock Advisor that I would include in the luxury group, group that actually got a little bit of a beatdown on earnings this quarter is uh, Coach. They're not the super high-end uh, luxury sales like uh, Richemont or Louis Vuitton or anything like that. Uh, but they are benefiting from uh, the, the sales growth in China that, that those guys are and Fossil is uh, as well for the time being. Uh, but uh, more importantly than that, uh, when we look at the management teams and compare uh, what it is about how these guys are doing business, it's something that uh, I have a greater, greater deal of appreciation for uh, how Coach operates their business than Fossil, which is not to say that I, I don't like how Fossil runs their business, but uh, uh, less degree of familiarity, uh, I think, with Fossil. How is it that Fossil is doing well in Europe at a time when pretty much every other company on the planet is struggling in Europe? I mean, that was one of the things I saw is that they're, you know, they're, 
they they seem to be doing fine in Europe. So I think I'm the only person in the room right now that's wearing a watch. Is you that are. correct? Yeah. You are. Um, so maybe, I have this maybe there's a certain device in my pocket that tells me time. <laughs> I think maybe there's a certain lack of perspective um, from from folks that that maybe don't uh, see watches as uh, a, a piece of art or a piece of jewelry or a piece of luxury, uh, a display of, of of luxury or display of wealth or, or or prominence. But those things are all still very important, uh, and they're still very important in Europe uh, as well. And they're uh, you know going to continue to be uh, for. You know, for the foreseeable future. Just to wrap up on the stock, I mean, you you talked about how it's it's down from the high. It's obviously up big today. What do you think of the valuation? Is it fairly valued, or is this a is this a buying opportunity still? There, there's definitely a lot of expectation of continued success in in fossil stock price. I think the new analyst estimates are something on the order of five dollars and fifty cents of earnings this coming fiscal year, and the stock is trading at. Where high nineties, yep. uh, high nineties right now. So it's well above a market multiple. Uh, they're going to need that retail and sales number to continue to rise for jewelry retailers around the world, and particularly in China, for their wholesale sales to continue to rise. And, and that's definitely needed for the stock to continue to work. The shares of Arcos Dorados up more than twelve percent this morning after second quarter earnings. Uh, Charlie, we were talking beforehand. Uh, profits technically down, but same store sales they they kind of crushed it yeah uh, arcos dorados for people who are not familiar with the story is the mcdonald's of latin america they have the exclusive rights from mcdonald's to operate and franchise stores in 20 countries of central america south america and the caribbean and they have 1800 stores right now and as you mentioned chris same store sales were up 10 percent in the last quarter uh, arcos sites more people coming into the restaurants which is a good thing and higher ticket prices uh, when they are in there. Part of that is due to rampant inflation in South America, but they are also you know, changing the product mix around as well. Uh, and what I like about Arcos is that uh, you know, McDonald's is the best-in-class fast food brand in South America. They have more. It's just because Five Guys isn't there yet. Yes, no Five Guys. <laughs> uh, they have more stores than the next five competitors combined. Uh, so wow. it's a long-term growth story with a great brand. Um, we were talking beforehand, Charlie. You look at uh, all of the companies uh, in this space, McDonald's, Starbucks, among others, that are doing well in certain areas around the world but just struggling in Europe. This seems like a stock and a company that is obviously not exposed to Europe in any significant way. So should investors expect more, whether that's fair or not? Should they expect more? Because I, I can just say from experience, as a Starbucks shareholder, I now look at Europe and I'm basically expecting nothing to come out of that. But this is a case where they don't have that exposure. No, they don't, Chris. Uh, but what they are exposed to indirectly is a slowdown in China, because these are natural resource economies that are heavily dependent on exports of mining products into China. Uh, and that ripples through. Uh, Brazil is going through a slowdown right now. Uh, but in the long run, this is the place you want to be. Brazil just passed up the UK to be the world's sixth largest economy. And I think you should expect mid-single-digit GDP growth out of a lot of these countries over the next decade, and Arcos should benefit. Would you rather own these guys or McDonald's? Uh, that's a great question. And at these prices, I'd rather own Arcos. Uh, but McDonald's gets 5% of all of Arcos sales for doing nothing except licensing the brand. It's a pretty good deal. <laughs> Shares of SiriusXM up slightly on Tuesday after the company reported better than expected earnings and also raised guidance. Joe Mager, what do you think? 
Egg in Our Face. Uh, <laughs> this is a stock that we've made fun of at Fool.com for the entire time I've been here for about five, six years now. And I haven't given it a good look in a while, but the stock is up about 2,000% since the last time I looked at it. Uh, which was during the financial crisis, that's a nice little recovery. Um, turns out there is an actual business here. It might have taken a lot longer than people thought to get there, but operating profits or operating margins increased six years running, which is something you very rarely see at companies. And you know they've been doing very well, at least compared to our ratcheted back expectations. But we were talking before the show, and Alex said the stock is down how much since it IPO'd? I don't know if this is the IPO or not, but I looked at the Google Finance chart. It goes back to 1995, and it looks like the stock is still down from its 1995 prices. So, yeah. you know, if it went from five to sixty to zero, basically, and now it's back to two bucks a share, uh, I guess you pick your time frame, and you can be uh, happy a huge camper winner, or <laughs> a huge loser. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we've had guests on our weekly radio show over the last couple of years who have weighed in on. The long-term prospects for SiriusXM, and almost to a person, they are skeptical. They just say, "Well, you know what? I just think long-term, this company is dead, and it's just a matter of time." But Charlie, they're still plugging along. We have more automakers today than we had a few years ago who are putting SiriusXM in the car. I get that we're now seeing Pandora and uh, you know other options come into cars, but it, it seems like. For all of the people saying, well, SiriusXM is dead, it's just a matter of time, they're still here. They're still right. plugging along. And, and you could count me in the former skeptic category as well. Uh, when I saw the release today and they added, I think, something like 600,000 net subscribers to get them up to 23 million subscribers, that's a big number. Uh, that's in the ballpark of what Netflix has for streaming video, and we talk about them all the time. Uh, and the reason growing subscribers is so important for SiriusXM is that as a high fixed-cost business, each new subscriber they bring in is incredibly profitable. Uh, the company's doing over 200 million in cash flow is what they just reported. That's far higher than I would have thought. Uh, so I think better than plotting along is what they're doing right now. Yeah. Right? And just one thing I'd add is it's important to remember that they've kind of differentiated. Now they have their own unique content proprietary there. So they're paying for a lot from other people, but they've got their own too. And it's important to remember that cars aren't the only vehicle for that. You know, like they can still you know, monetize that through online channels and mobile in the same way that Pandora has. So it's not as though the satellite option is the only way for these guys to make money. And Alex, you were saying before we were taping, Mel Karmazin, the CEO, gets all the ink. And I, <laughs> I suppose that's only fair because he's the CEO. He's a public guy and and all of that. But you're saying there's really someone else that if anyone is interested in Sirius XM as a stock, there's another guy that they need yeah, to absolutely. keep eyes on. I think 40 or 45% of Sirius XM is currently owned by Liberty, which is uh, – John Malone's holding company, uh, media conglomerate. John Malone is a, uh, a, fi- a financial expert, a financial engineering <laughs> expert, I would say, uh, and was able to pick up Sirius uh, right back at that time that Joe was talking about uh, right before it did its 2,000% run, basically picked it up for uh, pennies on the dollar when it was seriously distressed and just about to go bankrupt. Uh, and so there's a big battle going on right now between John Malone and, and Mel uh, over control uh, of the company. Ultimately, I think Sirius uh, becomes part of 
liberty for some period of time, but uh, at the end of the day will remain uh, a public company probably spun off of uh, the liberty conglomerate that eventually takes control of it. And so, um, you know, John Malone, as a financial engineer, probably doesn't have so much interest in, in running the operating company, Sirius XM, um, for the long term. Uh, but as somebody who might or may not, uh, who might be interested in investing in Sirius, you might want to take a look at uh, liberty uh, as well, uh, because as a 40 or 45% owner, a big part of Liberty's uh, value is going to be tied up in the serious investment. So, and Liberty owns the Braves, the which Atlanta, is compelling. The, Atlanta, the Braves? Atlanta Braves? Well, I'm sure that's compelling to you know Georgia folks like you. Only me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but just to be clear, Alex, in the battle between Malone and Karmazin, you're betting on Malone? Uh, I, I don't think it's a battle that... Uh, that there needs to be a winner and a loser. I think I think Mel may uh, remain as uh, the head of uh, Sirius and, and run it uh, far off into the future while John Malone may ultimately take control and, and make his money and then eventually sell, spin off, or otherwise dispose of Sirius XM and, and make some, some good money for his shareholders. Joe, just to close out on the stock, fairly valued, undervalued? I know it's you know one you've only looked at recently, but uh, what do you think? I'm not buying it. But I will at least acknowledge I've been very wrong about it. <laughs> uh, and finally, yesterday we talked about Applebee's and their Club Applebee's initiative that they're testing in Whoa. Florida and Texas. Uh, got an email uh, from Mark Kennedy in Silver Spring, Maryland, also one of our colleagues here at the Motley Fool. <laughs> I was going to say. But he's, yeah. a, he's a regular listener. Uh, and he, you know, he, instead of just coming by my desk, he dropped a note, which I thought was great. <laughs> uh, he writes, I think that something like this can work really well in areas where the nightlife options are limited, which may be a good description of some of the places in Florida and Texas where they're testing this out. I speak from experience. Back in the early 1990s, I worked as a waiter and bartender at a small regional Applebee's slash TGI Fridays knockoff called Rugby's Bistro. We had outlets in Heath, Ohio, Lancaster, Ohio, and Morgantown, West Virginia, small towns with limited nightlife options. Our biggest night of the week was Wednesday because it was, wait for it, Long Island Iced Tea Night. <laughs> After 9 o'clock, we would move aside the tables in the dining room to create a dance floor, bring in a local DJ, and serve $1.75 Long Island Iced Teas Ooh. until closing. <laughs> oh, brutal. On those nights, we were packed with lines out the door. I'll bet they were. Uh, as a bartender, it was by far my biggest money-making night of the week. And while I love the money... I still get scary flashbacks whenever I hear the electric slide or Clarence Carter's stroking that dance floor. <laughs> the dance floor was not a pretty uh, sight. Stroking. Uh, if you're playing DJ for the night, you want to get people on the dance floor, what are you going with? Oh, well, I love stroking. <laughs> uh, but I would go with Living on a Prayer. It's kind of a classic late night bar song. Charlie? Uh, I'm picking from the same era here, and I think uh, Night Ranger, Sister Christian. That's going to get people on the that's dance floor. That's more of a close the night out when people are already in the can. Oh, okay. That's when you're like, okay, you don't have <laughs> yeah. to go home, but you can't stay that's here. That's right. Alex, what do you think? I don't know if uh, the Applebee's Bulls or Bears would be more appreciative of this, but uh, i got to see Miley Cyrus in there. <laughs> <laughs> little party in the little USA. little party in the USA. <laughs> uh, it's almost hard to believe you didn't cut it as a DJ. <laughs> Alex Scherer, Charlie Travers, Joe Mager. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Switch!